0: Uh, Yet into the others, gang two sisters, both curious
1: and strange. When they, they witty from the brain, it's the magic hour.
0: Mercedes and Jay.
2: It's a new football season, y'all. Antonio Brown is now a Raider, Levon Bell is with the Jets, and Odell Beckham is in Cleveland. The only thing that hasn't changed is where we're putting our money down on all the games. My Bookie. My Bookie has live in game betting on every NFL game. They've got the most rewarding players' perks in the business. And for you fantasy football guys out there, you can even bet on the over under and how many fantasy football points a player will score each game my bookie also has better bonuses and more prop bets than any other sports book this year they're hosting the first ever online handicapping super contest first place is guaranteed to win at least one hundred thousand dollars and it only costs 100 bucks to enter all you have to do is pick five nfl games against the spread every week to climb the leaderboard and score your share of the huge cash prize pool we would only recommend a service to our listeners that's proven and my bookie is always the right play you bet you win they pay the best part is when you use code magic hour you activate this insane offer where you double your first deposit bonus up to a thousand dollars so for instance if you're putting down nine hundred dollars it's actually gonna be eighteen hundred all you have to do is visit mybookie online today that's m-y-b-o-o-k-i-e and don't forget to use the promo code magic hour m-a-j-i-c-h-o-u-r when creating your account to claim the bonus bet win get paid now on with the show Welcome boys and babes so glad you're joining us for another episode of the magic hour a place where we navigate through life's peaks and valleys with all the vulnerability and shamelessness we can muster. With the help of world-class guests from all walks of life, including health, science, business, love and relationships, spirituality, fitness, and much, much more, we uncover new truths and valuable tools for manifesting our highest potential. I'm your host, Mercedes Terrell, along with my partner in shine, Jade Bryce. What's Mm -hmm. up, Jade? Hey, Magic Mob. Today we're
1: having on Christopher Dean. I met Chris in Memphis last month, and my first impression of his heart and his energy was just that he was truly authentic and all things to all men without judgment. I saw love in his eyes, I knew he'd be a unique guest for us, and I was inspired by him and his old soul, even though he's only 26 years old.
2: So I jumped at the chance to get him on. I love that. It's interesting how we pick up on stuff like that just upon meeting someone, especially if we choose to actually look people in the eyes and be unrushed, Mm -hmm. getting to know them. Yeah, the windows to the soul. For sure. So, um, what makes today's guest unique as well is that he grew up in the Soulsville neighborhood in Memphis, Tennessee, which is where Jade visited. And we'll go into that, um, and why she went there later. But this neighborhood has the unpleasant distinction of being the 10th most dangerous in the country. While well, another study actually broke it down, um, even further and dubbed the the community as the number one most violent neighborhood in the nation, mm-hmm. which is crazy. Local residents have a one in nine chance of becoming a crime victim there within a year. The zip code 38106 is also among the poorest in the nation. This is not just... One of the poorest zip codes in Memphis or in Tennessee, for that matter, but one of the poorest in the entire country. Mm -hmm. The study also noted that the area has more single mother households than ninety nine point six percent of neighborhoods in the U.S. and seventy seven point nine percent of children in the area live in poverty, unfortunately.
1: Yes. And something we really want to express in this episode is that there are cultures in America that we never see. All we seem to hear or talk about on TV is the wealthy and the middle-class, but never the poor. There's pockets in America that live a completely different way, and most of us just don't even see it. Chris has an interesting story on his own, but also has a philosopher's way of letting others know what it's like from the perspective of a kid that was raised in a drug and gang culture. Also at age 18, Chris gained national attention when he introduced President Barack Obama at his high school graduation, which I'm so excited to have him tell us about. This played a part in how he's now making a big difference in his community, and we can all be inspired to do more through hearing about it. He is an observer and a philosopher who has always had a few things to say about life from his vantage point in Soulsville, Memphis. Please welcome Christopher Dean.
2: What's up, Chris? Yay!
3: (laughs) (laughs) Well, one thing, one correction real quick, I was nineteen. Oh, I graduated yeah. high school I graduated high school late and it's because when I was in the second grade, this is when it all started. My dad died when I was young, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And I was just being a kid and acting out because I'm now missing my father. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I would I got into a lot of fights in second grade mm-hmm. just because mm-hmm. people would say, Your daddy, right? Oh. Like and I would just Bust out the tears and bust out the crying and fighting, right? Mm-hmm. And so my mom failed me, you know. Mm, held your you mom, back, uh-huh. My mom held me back second grade, mm. and I've always been upset with that. Like I was just <laughs> a kid, right? She mm-hmm. held me back and she put me on ADHD medicine. I was acting out because my father mm, died. I yeah. wasn't acting out because something wrong with me. So for the rest of my life, people treated me like that. They treated me like I wasn't like normal, and I was held back and like I'm slow or something like that, Slower right? And I was, like, but it was. But it was just because my dad had died. But mm-hmm. right. I also got a chance to meet the president. So right. in your face. Kind of worked out. Kind of worked face. out. Uh,
2: how old are you when you're in second grade? I don't know. Seven? I'm like yeah. eight, seven, eight. like Eight,
3: Yeah, Yeah, i do not know what that. I was there twice, so I was two ages. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
2: eight, nine, yeah. Yeah. Um, <coughs> wow. So. You you're getting into your story there, but I want you to tell us your full story. I know Jade knows it and, and I know how much it touched her, so I don't want you to leave anything out for our listeners today. Um would you get into your story with us a little bit?
3: Uh just as much as I can remember. Jade, if you know anything I don't know. <laughs> help me out. Okay. Um so I think it started when I was, of course, a baby. Um had I think I like growing up. I don't think I was raised around people and I saw this recently. I was raised around people who didn't view me as a person with an opinion, right? You're a baby, like you're a newborn. Mm-hmm. You don't have an opinion, right? So I was around people who smoked a lot, a lot of smoking in the air, And that did something to the inside of my body without them knowing. Right. Mm. And so I had to get heart surgery. Um, and, uh, had vowel leakage and I got three holes in my heart and it had to. Patched me up and I lived in the hospital for like three years, like straight, I lived in a hospital. And um, after I got out of the hospital, like uh, my dad died. So, and I was living with my dad. So I think a lot of that comes like that, that my beginning, my first eight years of my life really shaped me to see. Right. Mm-hmm. Because when I was in the hospital and I couldn't be play with the rest of the kids and I had to watch, Right. And then when my dad died, you know, acting out and with my heart conditions, I had to sit down. I had to be inside a lot. So um, watching kids out of the window. And by the time I moved in the house with my mom and my sisters and brothers, my big sisters and brothers, like 11 or 12, they're like, who is this kid? Like, mm-hmm. we remember you having a baby, but we don't know him like that. Wow. So you know how it is when you got older siblings and it's kind of like, you don't relate as much, but now I got older siblings, siblings who really didn't really know me. Mm -hmm. Right. And so now I get in the house, my dad, dad, dad is dead. I'm acting out. I didn't want to live with them. My dad didn't want me to live in the projects with my mom. He wanted to like, he, he didn't, wasn't going to supply like much better life, but single man with a kid versus a woman with two kids living in one of the worst neighborhoods in America, which was Mm -hmm. her village at the time. So, um, Dad died, moved in with my mom. Then, um, just kind of embrace this this thing about myself, just being different. Try to embrace that. Like I couldn't be like everybody else, right? And everybody else made that clear to me that I wasn't like them, right? I wasn't mm-hmm. fast enough. I wasn't big enough. I wasn't strong enough. I wasn't funny enough. I wasn't the first girl. I wasn't the first boy. So those 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 things was taken. Right. I was a third child and they didn't really like me like that. And mm-hmm. so everything felt taken. So uh, I just try to like see who am I growing up? Who am I? And we went from one project housing to the next project housing. So my first, my first, like 20 years of my life, I lived in the projects, like the projects. I'm talking like 4,000 people around you at all times. It's housing project. With like seventeen units, seventeen hundred units, and they stacked on top of each other, and it's like four to five people in each house. Then this housing project with another like thirteen hundred units, and then it's a the big housing project with like three thousand units, and they all was literally on the same block. Mm-hmm. Wow! And we all went to the same elementary school, high school, and middle school. Mm-hmm. Right? And the thing was. That they say, yo, this is the worst neighborhood in America. This is the lowest poverty neighborhood in America. And they gave us our own zip code, right? Because it was so many people in this box mm-hmm. that this With was a projects. zip code. Yeah, this this project mm-hmm. was mm-hmm. a zip code on its own. And so when they say this neighborhood was one of the worst neighborhoods, it's because it was super underserved and all these people lived in this. You put all these people in this box and there's nowhere mm-hmm. to go. And it just like end up mingling and fighting. and Like there was no room for comfort. Right. It was people Mm -hmm. on top of you. People live under you. You go outside. You don't have a porch to sit on. Like that's the whole thing about living in the South. You need a porch. Mm -hmm. Like like, you don't have a porch to sit on. The police walk around with M16 and shotguns. It's like like, we had some type of disease or something. It's like, yo, what's going on? Like it's a Wednesday night trying Mm -hmm. to go play basketball. And the police like go in the house. And then I remember one time vividly, I was like, I was sitting on the porch and I was sitting in the yard and it was like, go in the house. I was like, I'm sitting in my yard. They they said, look, this Memphis Housing Authority. Like, y'all don't own nothing. So you can't sit in your yard. It's city yard. Mm-hmm. And I said, go in the house. And I'm like, you're right. Going in the house it is, you know. <laughs> and this was like 6 o'clock, 7 o'clock, whenever they felt like you need to be in the house. And because it was, like you said, there's a lot of gangs around, a lot of danger around. But me growing up like that, I don't know is dangerous. Comes a habit. You know, you learn to read body language you learn to listen you know closely details and that's why I, like i become this this person i am because uh it was just all because of safety like i needed to to form these abilities to to make through the day to 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 play basketball i need to know who will be on the court who's at work who's not at work like look for if any one of my friends on the court do i know anybody out there you know what i'm saying and and if i do know somebody what gang are they in Okay, if they're in the gang and I see these people in the gang, they finna go, who should I go? Because they're opposite gangs and I could get caught in the middle of something. And there's been many a times where I'm playing basketball and I leave my ball at the court because I hear bop, bop. I'm like, all right, I come back for that ball and it's over, you know? Yeah. So um, so that's kind of how I've like formed my personality. You know, I learned, also learned from my sister and brother, just looking at them, watching them. My sister was a fighter, real strong. She's the oldest. She stood up for us. My big brother was super funny. Everybody loved him. He looked like Will Smith when we were young. He got the big old ears. And so he was funny. Everybody loved him. And then it was me. you know. So I'm like, okay. So when I'm at home, I kind of didn't have a personality. But when I was out of the house, I could be anybody. right? Because at home, they thought they knew who I was, so they wouldn't allow me to go out of these characteristics. Or they would think I'm doing too much or doing something different. But when I meet people who don't know me, I can be myself because they don't know what I bring. They don't judge what I bring. They judge what I they judge what I bring, but not knowing, don't have an expectation of, oh, you can't be funny because I'm funny. Oh, you can't be tough because I'm tough. Oh, you can't be like all these things. And so I just started forming my personality from all the people around me. And then I found my comfort zone where I feel like this is the person I'm comfortable with being, mm-hmm.
2: you know? And you okay. feel like you're stepping into that now.
3: Oh, man. Love it. Love it. I feel like so just being pure.
2: On the show, all we do is promote ask people to be a light. You mm-hmm. know, like we have you on the show right now because we think you are such a light, Chris. Thank you. And the the antithesis of that though is people going, stop shining so brightly. It's annoying me. It's bothering me. It, mm. it's ruffling my feathers because mm-hmm. I know I can't do that right now for can. their own mm-hmm. reasons and circumstances. Mm. They totally yeah. can. But yeah. like you're saying, you yeah. sometimes some you're in a people, situation yeah. where you, can, you can't. In yeah. a mindset where you're stuck at that moment, you know, and you can't.
3: Yeah, and so, so living that's, in the projects, that definitely was one of those places where you don't want to outshine right. anybody. You know, you, everybody has a role. You let them play their role. And 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 you can take a little bit of pride in knowing that you're allowing things to flow naturally, mm-hmm. right? You don't want to put yourself in a situation where it's dangerous, but you know, like, hey, if I wanted to outdo yeah. somebody, I could, right? But for my own safety and for the nature of the situation I'm in, I'm going to fall back and just watch it right so my yeah. grandma used to always tell me to be the dumbest person in the room and she mean that by listen more than you talk you got two right. ears and one mouth for a reason mm-hmm. you're, supposed to, you're supposed to listen twice as much more than you're supposed to talk even though i don't get the pat on the back right so all these people i just left them if it's rocks it was like 300 people there and they don't know me i don't know what i've done i don't know that i've played a big part in bringing it but mm-hmm. do they need to know no, but what I know is that when I go in there and I see all these people smiling and climbing together, and I know I lived in Memphis, I never seen black and white people climbing mm. and, and working out and black men, young men working out and eating salads, right? I've never seen that. <laughs> right? I've never seen it. And I see these young men who three or four months ago, they walk around, their pants hanging down with rags on their head. You know, out on the street smoking cigarettes. She was like 14. You know, smoking cigarettes on the middle of the street. It ain't something you hide and doing. It's like nobody cares about me, and this is proof, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. But now I see them in the in the juice bar with their gloves on, like prepping food, right? And I'm mm-hmm. like, yo, like this—that's a 360 to me. And yeah, they don't yeah. need to be like Chris, thank you. But they don't need to do that. But I'm like, I'm proud to see mm-hmm. them, and I'm happy to know that I played an integral role in that young man's life. But so yeah. that's 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 the that's the follow I need. Right. Mm-hmm. That's I just need to feel like that my life is a piece of a puzzle to mm-hmm. make it somebody else's picture bigger or better. I don't need to be like, yeah. "Oh, I got 70,000 followers and everybody know what I'm doing." Like, right. is, I don't care. I don't care about that. You're a
1: lot like Tom in that way and I want to get into Memphis Rocks in a little bit, but I wanted to bring up cuz you you talked about your dad passing. When mm-hmm. you were that age, did you understand like what had actually happened? Did you understand yes. why it happened?
3: I don't know why. I just they just Basically, same thing I think now. People didn't like my father. Back then, it was a guy in Memphis who, who in Memphis, this is like a bragging, right? He rose to number number three in the FBI most wanted list. Wow. So, so in Memphis, that's what they get you a pat on the back for, right? Wow. So, so a lot of young men in the African-American culture feel upset because if, like, my big brother went to jail, right? And then he get out of jail, he get this huge party right my mom was sending him money everyone like he went to jail for six years he get out everybody missing everybody showing him love mm-hmm. right but when i went to college i went to college and on spring break i came home and my mom had cleaned out my room she gave away my bed my tv mm-hmm. i had to sleep on the floor right where was my like appreciation Where was my we mm-hmm. missed you like like so we just got to change the culture like we don't we yeah. don't even acknowledge that that form we just we know what we know so coming back from college it was just so like wow but but so i knew that my dad had died but i don't think they told me was that like people were hating on him because like i said the guy had risen who he worked with risen to like number three on america's mm-hmm. most wanted list and everybody was like man your dad was a g They was killed him because they was hating on him and so mm-hmm. they killed my dad. That's all I knew. But being that young, yeah, I knew. I knew my dad was get dead. I knew I'd never see him again. I knew I lived now with mm-hmm. my mom who I didn't want to live with. I knew all the toys I had and, and, and the luxuries I had. I was like laying around being a brat was gone, right? Mm-hmm. And and now I got a big brother and big sister who want to come and like wrestle me or just talk to me all the time. Like, I'm like, yo, I don't know y'all. You know, y'all don't know me. Mm-hmm. Like, what is going on? And so... I cried every night, probably like probably like a good two years, mm-hmm. easily two years, right? And so when I went to school and act out, they're like, "What is wrong with him?" I'm like, "What the hell? You think wrong?" Like, "Are you crazy?" Mm-hmm. Like, my dad is dead, and it still affects me to this day. People tell me, "Man, look, Chris, if your dad was here, you wouldn't have to worry about this. If your dad was here, you wouldn't have to worry about that." And I always think, like, "Man, man, I could be living so sweet. My right? life could be so sweet. I could have somebody to talk to." I was just talking to somebody about this this morning. Like, I can have somebody talk to. Mm -hmm. I can have somebody, all these problems, issues I've dealt with my whole life. You can just, you know, somebody like, yo, man, this happened today. And then he could be like, oh, man, I remember when I was your age, I went through that. Mm. Like, all that is gone. Like, college and high school, like, Mm -hmm. that's gone. Nobody relate to. And then the people who you think you can trust, like, they got angles, Mm -hmm. right? Like, yeah, you could talk to them if you join this gang, right? You have a big brother if you join this gang, you have an uncle if you join this crew. If you pay us, like if you sell dope for me, if you run guns for me, like yo, like what the hell, like yeah, that, that's that's not love, like that's not looking out for me. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I knew I knew how it uh, it affected me my whole life to this day. You know, mm-hmm. still do, and it it's gonna affect me for the rest of my life.
1: Yeah, my birth dad wasn't um killed, but I, but he spent my life in prison. But I always had that same thought too, like. Man, if I just had a dad around, this heartbreak would hurt less. If I just had a dad around, I wouldn't be having to like Xerox copy my school books Mm -hmm. because I couldn't afford them, you know, like I always had those thoughts too. And it's interesting that um, if there's any fathers out there that do have kids out there and they're just not being there for them, that's similar to what those kids are feeling, even though the Mm -hmm. dad's not um, been passed away. So
3: growing up and not having that at all, man, that was, that made everything at least 5 times hard.
2: Yeah. Do so, you think that that darkness in your life though is also what pushed you to
3: to where you course, are now? Of course. Of course cuz I knew that like I knew that I didn't want to repeat that, right? I knew that I didn't want to die and have okay. a child out here like I was out here, right? And so I don't have any kids now, but I always say like if I had some kids like before, I let them parent the mother split me up for my child like I'm like, look, we're going to have to write a contract or something because I'm going to be in this baby life. All right? Yeah. Like, boy, we might be debating whether you're going to be in their life or not. But I'm going to be in their right. life because um, I don't have a choice. So it, it pushed me away from the streets because I was like, man, this is what my dad did. And right. the, the big part of it is that my dad bought three houses. He bought cash, three houses before he died. He was 23. I outlived my dad. I'm 26. Wow. wow. So. So he bought three houses before he died. My family, my grandmother on my dad's side had twelve kids. My grandma on my mom's side had thirteen kids. This is South; they was pushing them babies out. Wow, wow! So, so all of my family members still living in my house.
1: I don't think I've ever asked someone this before, but just curious: growing up in that um, culture, how many people had had you seen shot?
3: Oh, um. Probably like four people I seen get
0: shot, mm-hmm.
3: but I seen a lot of shootouts. Probably at least like twelve shootouts. Mm-hmm. Like, but I like it's like four people I seen like, oh, he hit, like he fell. like
1: mm-hmm.
3: yeah, he got hit. But and, and these you lost a were lot like of friends, and
1: yeah, were these like your friends or?
3: Oh man, it's friends and family dying like left and right. Mm-hmm. Like last year was huge in my neighborhood. It was uh, my neighborhood's ran by GDS like the gangsta disciples
0: Mm -hmm. and like
3: the guy from my neighborhood was the guy who ran all the GDs in Tennessee and like in this region. So he was like the big dog. Right. Mm -hmm. And last year they did this huge bust where they locked up all the big dogs, like all the, like, like mob type guys. And you will see them on the streets and they look like they don't have nothing, but they like, they, we know they run the streets and, um, so, they got locked up, and man, everybody started getting killed because mm-hmm. these big guys got locked up. Like I ain't gonna say no names, but the mm-hmm, well-respected right. gang members, no, <laughs> the well-respected <laughs> gang members got locked up. So the opposite gang was like, "Yo, this is the time to like make this territory ours." Mm-hmm. And so all my friends started getting like shooting, shooting at and shooting like locked up, and like I'm like, "Yo," and they got to do it. Like you, right. like you have to do it.
2: You or them, yeah. Yeah,
3: yeah. So I'm <laughs> like, yo, like this is crazy.
2: So, so, how, so last year it
3: was huge.
2: Sorry.
1: Well, how like in the midst of losing friends like that and family members, how do you stay so grounded? Like when I met you, you have such a pure spirit and you have such a grounded um, sense. So, like. Not only going through that, but also currently not knowing who you'll lose this week or having to see Mm -hmm. the same gang members who, you know, have killed family members. How do you just stay so balanced and grounded?
3: Man, I honestly don't know. It's just it's just a thing. It's just something I feel like I was blessed with. You know, I feel like I've seen so much. I feel like I've been blessed to see both sides of the the line. You know, I, I remember one time I got invited by one of the top GDs to a, a party. And I go to this party, and it was like gang members, strippers, rappers, like everybody was there, right? Literally, like this is probably the most drug infested places I've ever mm-hmm. been in my life. And it was just like really some little small club. And then the next morning, like I had the same clothes on. The next morning, uh, the police chief had invited me to a meeting that they was holding at one of the big churches here. All the pastors, the priests, officers, DEAs, like people like that was there. And they wanted to see how to stop crime. Like what can they do to get in these neighborhoods? I just feel like my job is to observe and try to kind of like not change people, right? I can just try to like like help people see the situation they're in. And that I think we'd be so in like so deep in these situations we don't see it. We don't we don't put pieces together of what we're doing and how it make other people feel. We're so enraged with fear and in, mm-hmm. and in anger that like this is what I have to do, right? Mm-hmm. And I think I was around my uncles and I've been scared so much, right? Because I was like sixteen, I had to fight my uncles. They were like twenty five, and I'm like they they taught me how to fight by fighting, right? <laughs> and so I think they just like like ripped the fear out of me, right? And like ripped the like. Like, this thought process is so fast now once you get into these things where it's just like, now, when things happen, I'm like, yo, like, that's not worth my time. I, I just feel like, I, I feel like I'm rooted in a way. And it's, pro- it's, it's because my dad died. It's because my uncle sold drugs. It's because, you know, I felt so uncomfortable. And I didn't have so no control over so many situations. Mm-hmm. And I finally accept, like, the only thing I can control is Chris, right? Mm-hmm. It's the only thing I got. Like they say, you come in this world alone, you're going to die alone, right? I want to share my love and share my knowledge and my experiences with everybody, but I feel like I'm all I got at the end of the day. You know, I love my mom, my sisters and brothers, but, you know, in my darkest moments, I'm the only one that got to be there for myself. Yeah. And it comes from, like, those heartbreaks, like those those real heartbreaks, you know? I I remember being with a girl for, like, i was with her for six years. I feel like I've been through, like, two divorces, right? Like, I'm like, yo, mm-hmm. like, this is... Terrible. Like I can't feel like this no more. But it's because like I've been through all dark moments. And I'm like, okay, I built myself back up. And I'm like, yo, like, I feel so strong. Like i spiritually and mentally, I feel so strong. Right. Yeah. And I'm like, it's crazy. And and things where people tell me stuff that's breaking them. I'm like, whew, wow. that's that's not a lot. But but I gotta meet them where they are. Mm-hmm. And I tell them. The, the tricks and trades that I learned. And I feel like the only reason why people relate to me is because like they relate to me. Cause I feel like I've been through so much across so many spectrums that people say, Oh man, he been through something I've been through. Mm-hmm. Right. And I feel like that's, that's a gift. That pain has been a gift for me that I feel like I'm, I'm, I'm grounded. Right. And that's why when I, I write poems and I write music, when I'm sad, mm-hmm. because I feel like everybody has experienced sadness everybody mm-hmm. know what rock bottom feels like mm-hmm. no matter how tall or short or pretty or fat or whatever you feel like you are you know what rock bottom feels mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. not everybody experiences the same level of happiness right yeah, now. we've all if, cried if, ourselves
1: to sleep
4: yeah
3: mm-hmm. so when i met tom i didn't care i didn't care who tom was because people's like oh man this big shot hollywood director none of that has anything to do with anything i care about
4: mm-hmm. big
3: shot boo Hollywood director, boo.
2: Felt unrelatable to you, yeah, for sure.
3: Don't care. But until I met him as a person and I see that those titles means nothing to him, I'm like, no, mm-hmm. that's somebody I like. That's somebody mm-hmm. who can say, hey, yo, I don't care about these titles. I'm a person who been through pain and suffered a lot and I'm still suffering, but I'm learning and I'm willing to grow. Are you willing to grow? I'm like, yo, my brother for life, right? Mm-hmm. If you're willing to listen and talk and I'm listening and hey, we can grow together, I'm cool with that. Like, so when mm. I was at the White House, um, I was writing this 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 thing I was pitching, and I said something about myself. I said I'm willing to change, right? And this lady was like, "Chris, you did amazing, but I don't ever want you to change. I want you to grow."
0: I mm. was like, <laughs>
3: right? "I went back to my office and I was like, man, I'm a part of nature, and nature don't change. You don't look at a tree and come back to you. It's like, yo, yo, this tree changed. You're like, no, this tree tree has grown." And, and I like that. So we don't change, we grow. And I'm like, yo, mm-hmm. man, i never change. I'm growing, only growing. So you
2: can't just say when I was at the White House. I know. We need more detail of how you how you ended up there. You have to explain why.
3: Visiting. <laughs> I was visiting. <laughs> visiting my uncle, President Obama.
1: But tell us how, you know, tell us about your experience with Obama that day, because I I just love Obama so much.
3: First Michelle Obama did it was a thing you can get a chance to. Um, it's called Race to the Top. So mm-hmm. you, you get it. Hey, they got something to do with race rock climbing. So uh, <laughs> so um, you get a chance to go to uh, to get President Obama to come and speak at your school. So we got in the program. We wrote a letter and it was like 10,000 schools or something. And it got us to like the bottom five thousand schools. Like, hey, you did a decent letter. You're in the far, bottom five thousand. And so then they did a letter. I mean, they did a video that I helped like with the production like, we walk around the school and we just basically say all the important people who graduated from our school. Like, BTW is a historical back, black high school in Memphis. And there was only two places that black people can go back then. You either went, you went to BTW mm-hmm. for high school, like, basically K through 12, right? You, if you wanted education and you was black in the South, you went to BTW. You walk from Mississippi. You walk from wherever you need to walk. If you wanted education, you went to BTW. Mm-hmm. And then you wanted higher education. You went to on College. Lamoine on College been here for over a hundred years. It ain't been that long. Yeah. I'm just gonna say that. <laughs> so, so black people been struggling to get education, and mm-hmm. struggling to get to these schools. And so, even when Martin Luther King used to come, he used to go to BTW, and he used to go to not for school, but he used to go visit his friends there because mm-hmm. that's the only place he, you know, his friends went. So BTW and Lamoine, he would go to Lamoine and hang out on campus because that's where his friends was at. And so, um, we basically was like, look, we did that video and the last, we got into like the bottom, like 700 or like something like that. And so like had to do another video and I was in that video. I was like, look, we got to show him, like, we got to show him they knocking down the hood, like they knocking mm-hmm. down the hood. And so we made a video showing that how many students lived in this neighborhood and how many, like how many students would be relocated. And we showed our graduation rate. So mm. when, when I was in the ninth grade coming into BTW, the graduation rate was like 36% of people graduated. And by the time I graduated from BTW, like 96% of us was graduating. And it's a lot because Miss Miss uh, Miss Kiner, our principal, who I call my mother, like she's literally like tough love is like nature. Like she's like, yo, I don't care. <laughs> like You're you going to do what you got to do. Mm-hmm. But then it's also because, again, Mr. porner that sixth grade mentality coming, not fighting each other. So we we talked about that. Like, look, we we went from this graduation rate to this graduation rate, and we we're one of the poorest neighborhoods in America, and they knocked it down our hood, and then people still coming here because we love this school, right? And then I basically got on the news like twenty times and called the president out, right? Because I know. <laughs> He's a black man, and he went to you know he, he he went to some good schools. He had a little bread, but also he know what it's like to like not have right. a father around. You know he know what it's like yeah. to be raised by your grandma. You know he know what it's like for your mom to be working two jobs and stuff like that to provide for you.
2: What think what what spurred you to get on board that so so fervently? Like why were you so gung ho about that so, specifically?
3: So because gung ho, I never heard it. I don't know what that is. But I know what you mean because the context, but I've never heard it. But, uh, <laughs> So,
2: uh, gung-ho so, what a weird I, word uh, I know.
3: have no idea what that is so, like, all your something. Like somebody who can't get in the show okay uh, uh,
2: what got so, you so on board so, with doing this project well I'm
3: from not many men to speak out right you don't want to be on camera because you right. know what your background is you don't want to speak out And there's no there's no emotion. There's no funny. There's no games. Like everything is <laughs> super, super serious, even in high school.
1: Was there anything really cool the the day that you spent with Obama? That day that he came to your school. Was there anything really cool that he said specifically to you?
3: I was backstage, and he came back there, and he was like, "I already met this guy. Like, come on, man. yeah, You know, everybody just want to meet me." And so we sat there and we talked for like 20 minutes. We talked about like our parents. Like, I do not like. I'm from the hood i'm not going to talk to him so what do you think about what are you going to do the next election what are you, i'm like look i don't look what's up man how you doing like you know how was your day been traveling <laughs> a lot you know nice suit you know tell me about your grandmother you know we talked about stuff like that talked about my mm-hmm. dad talked about his dad talked about my grandma talked about how we was raised Talked about a little tough stuff like stuff that i wish my dad was here talking about mm-hmm. right and so we talked like that for like 20 or 30 minutes and then he came out and he met the class, the 2012 class. And then I sat next to him on the stage and we was just, if you go back and look at them pictures, man, I, we was just kicking shit. We was just laughing and joking. We was I was checking people and he was like, we was just really just like hanging out. Like literally, mm-hmm. it was no different from being around anybody else. And the only person I felt like that about other than President Obama was Tom. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. When I was working as a counselor, I was going to go to Chicago and work for President Obama because, of course, after I went to the White House, like, I got plenty of connects, people who still work for him mm-hmm. to this day. I was like, when I leave here, I'm going to go to Memphis. If I find a job I like, I'm going to stay there. If I don't, I'm going to go to Chicago and work for the president. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. literally two months before I was about to go to Chicago, I met Tom, and he had that same, like, stillness, that same presence, mm-hmm. right? That same look in your eye like, I'm here, like, I'm paying attention to you, right? Mm-hmm. Not many people, most people like, ding, like
0: yeah we're <laughs> taking like, their phone so, like yeah.
3: most people like they like zoning out. they didn't see me as equal as important or like as i had something to offer right i had something mm-hmm. to bring to the table i had something to say because i was just some kid right they look at me as some kid and and tom and president obama is like two people who i met in person who was like present like so present that it made me uncomfortable mm-hmm. right <laughs> like so because i've never been and president obama a close talker like he's a very close talker. I don't know if you could tell, but he would be like this.
4: <laughs> <laughs> like yo, really?
3: hey, what did you do? <laughs> like, like yo, see, bro, fly. Hey, hey. <laughs> to fight, Tom kind of is close. too, huh? But yeah, and so yeah. those the people who like they really like they're so in your space. They like really mm. they like feel every wave of energy that come off, mm-hmm. of it. and mm. they feel they feel it, like they hear it, they see it, and they feel it, and they and they feed off of it, and they can help change those. Well, I'm like, yo, this is, I like this, you know? Some never magic. Had, yeah, I never yeah. had this, like, attention to detail Hey, <laughs> you know, to me. you <laughs> know? Never
2: felt so seen. Yeah, yeah,
3: so seen, you know, and I, and I started seeing people say that, like, nice to see you in Memphis. They're like, nice to see you. And then some people say, like, it's good to be seen. I'm like, <laughs> damn, like, I never, never really right. heard somebody, because yeah. <laughs> you spend so much time alone or trying to be something. Then somebody say, like, like I see you, like I acknowledge yeah. you as a person. It's like, yeah, thank you, thank you for acknowledging me. So, so on stage, we was just hanging out, man, and we really was having a good time. And I remember, I was uh, I was nervous because I had this piece of paper, and I knew, like, me and him not like, cool. We cool now, like, right, like, so we've been hanging out. It's been like two hours now. Yeah. And I'm finna tell a joke about him, <laughs> like in front <laughs> of everybody. Like I'm finna like. So I'm like, oh. Shit, should I, like, change my speech, like, and not say this joke? Because I'm like, yo, I'm, like, stabbing my homie in the back now. Yeah. And, so, and so he was, like, looking at my paper. I was like, look, I, I can't let you see it. And he was like, you're nervous? I am like, yeah, I'm nervous for two reasons, you know. He was like, but well, what's one of them? I was like, it's like, 3,000 people here, you know. And they got cameras all on the front row. And then after yeah. you look past the cameras, like, far as your eye can see. I'm like, I don't know these people, you know. And then he was like, look, don't be nervous. Look, ain't nobody here but me and you. Like, it's just us. Wow. I got an invitation to uh, come to the White House for like three weeks and just walk around and do nothing. Like just observe how the machine works. So I did that. And then when I was in college, my last year, I was like, yo, I wonder if I let me come to the White House and do an internship this summer because I wasn't doing nothing. And so I tried my luck. I, I hit up some people who I had met while I was there. And they was like, of course, like, you know, come on up. We're going to get you in. I was like, cool. So I stayed there for like four months, did an internship there. And they let me shoot my show my documentary there. They let me shoot a part of my underdocumentary there. I met the president again. It was like, I was like, think? I walked through his office, like got an op off his desk. I met his shelf. We talked about his favorite food. Like we talked about like, cause he loved <laughs> pie. So I'm like, yo, like, so we, we, I just got a chance to do a lot of exclusive stuff, exclusive stuff. Walked on the front lawn. Like, like I felt like a brat. Like, I really did feel like a brat. Like, I was like, yo, this is what it's like. But at the same time, you know, I was just so grateful for every moment. You know, and a lot of people yeah. that worked there the whole time was happy to see me. Right? They are right. happy to see somebody that's happy to be there. It was, like, I felt like it was a privilege to be there. Like, I'm working in the yeah. White House. Like, I see the president, like, twice a day I see him. Like, yeah. I could be walking through the halls. I was allowed to walk through the West Wing. They don't let, they don't let interns in the west wing so i'm walking past his office while he there like i'm in the front lawn while he get off he get on his airplane like they don't let people do stuff like that right yeah and you weren't so,
2: taking it for granted yeah i was like
3: so proud and so happy every moment and people who was there who've been working there they was like yo like thank you for being yourself right because you remind me that my job is important you remind mm-hmm. me that what we do here is huge
2: so you can off the off that point of You being a kid from the projects who ended up in the White House interning, Mm -hmm. I wanted to bring up the point that you can often hear people say things like work harder, stay in school. Uh, When I was that age, you know, I did this or that. But that's not really an option for a lot of the kids in the communities like Soulsville. It is frustrating that there's so many stereotypes that we Mm -hmm. all live by. I mean, it's part of this primal brain that we all run you know this prehistoric part of our brain that's trying to stereotype or classify things for safety reasons you know that are ancient parts of our brain still we're still working on those and it's unfortunate when you see people falling into a stereotype mm-hmm. which any of us can do in mm-hmm. you know our own regards um, but it's it's so beautiful when you see someone not playing into that you know like that stereotype isn't gonna fucking yeah. suck me in
3: I'm lucky. That's it. Like, uh, there is there is nothing I could do to work my way up, like, to do that. You know what I'm saying? No, like, serum, serum whatever it is. I can, no, nothing to follow. No, like, no path to say, hey, your dad has to die. And then you mm-hmm. have to, like, be real humble mm-hmm. for a long time. And then you have to meet a girl, that she's going to break your heart. And then you're mm-hmm. going to move into a place by yourself, right? And then you're going to cry a lot. You're going to cry a lot. And then and it's like, no, no, there's, there's not. You know what I'm saying? Like, there's nothing you can do. It, it took, took a little bit of luck. Like, I, I, my personality and me just... Running to people in the hallway to certain people, like there's no telling why the person that re- writes the president's speeches let me into his office. Like his office is literally under the president's office. Like he can mm-hmm. go, and he like, hey man, <laughs> you know, it's coming. Like don't keep stopping. Like you know, and he's like, right, I'll be right back. I'm finna go take you to the president. I'm like, all right, cool. I'll be right here. You know. And so there's nothing, nothing to say why they took a liking to me. Like. I don't, I don't want to say I didn't take life for granted because a lot of things I still take for granted, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, I drive a Volkswagen, not like I drive a Benz, but like, it could be a putt-putt, you know?
0: Right. Like, or it could not be, a car yeah, at all. I the could bus. be on a bike,
3: you know? Mm-hmm. But I, I can have way less. But yeah. I am grateful for what I got and not knowing that what I'm so used to that i'm not taking for granted i could be a haitian you know and that's what i was about to say that you know when i was at the white house there's a lot of privileged people like how could you out of all people say that you're grateful to be an american you're from the hood because mm-hmm. you're the poorest one here i'm like yeah so but you're here yeah i'm here like this is the only place this is the only place where i could be born you know and and, and end up at the white house is even as an intern i can't like from my situation like if i was born in africa or haiti or like you mm-hmm. know africa hint, hint.
4: <laughs> <laughs>
3: so i like, could like somewhere well I, I wouldn't be able to have these privileges if i was born in north korea or japan like i wouldn't be able to do stuff right mm-hmm. there's so many people that like who knows like this little thread me this one thread is able to touch so many lives like i don't know that like there but I'm happy to be an American and, and have a right to speak up for what I like and speak my opinion and dress how I want to dress. And even though, mm-hmm. yeah, there's so many stigmas and statistics about being a black man, I get to go against all those. Mm-hmm. I be myself, yeah, I get to wear my hair nappy and I get to make people smile. I get to, you know, I see, I ain't a lot, sometimes I see white women walk down the street and I lock my doors and I'm like, yo, I don't know. <laughs> let me grab my wallet, you know, let me grab my wallet and make sure she's not trying to take anything, you know. You know? And so it's, it's nice to flip the script sometimes. It's nice to be like, you know, and I like to make people feel like, you know, how I feel. Not that I want to be mean, but I want them to have that question like, why would he do that? Like, but I'm just walking to my car. It's like, yeah, that's me too, you know. But at the same
1: time, though, the people outside of that community who are placing, you know, people in that box and saying what Mercedes was saying, like work harder and stay in school because Mm -hmm. they just don't understand. How would you explain to them? how that is in that community, how it's, that's not really their option.
2: Yeah. That's actually what I was getting to with that question. Yeah. How do you put that, how do you put it into context of people listening right now of how growing up in a community like Soulsville can rob you, like you're saying even earlier, rob you of the chance to even get to a place where you get to work harder and stay in school.
3: So one thing I would say is I'm not trying to promote my own stuff. It's not for sale, so Mm
0: -hmm.
3: I'm not getting anything from it. Um, Go watch my documentary. It's called As I Am. If you go to Google and you Mm -hmm. type in Chris Dean As I Am, it'll pop up. I know, right? Tom got a documentary called I Am. He owed me money. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) um, But um, it's basically walking you through my shoes after Mm -hmm. I met the president from my freshman year of college, I came back to Memphis, and I still lived in the house with no lights. I still, I still lived you know, in South Memphis, surrounded by drugs and prostitution, right? But those people was my, those were my items. Those people taught me everything I know, right? I sit on the porch for hours and hours and hours with drug addicts. And I say, just tell me, tell me about life. You know, mm. and they talk to me stories that had never been told. You know, and in the in the documentary, it's a lady who was a gospel singer in the '90s, and that's how she made her money. But she was raped, and they raped her, and they threw her out a car, and they broke her jaw, mm. and so now she got a screw that connects her jaw together. And every time she drink, I mean, every time she sing, it, she cries because one she's emotional, and two it hurts like hell, mm-hmm. right? But it's literally the only way. That she can make any money, right? And so she she's an alcoholic now. She drinks and sings and cries. It's all she do. Like, people are like, what is wrong with this lady? She crazy. I'm like, she's not crazy. She's been through some traumatic, like 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 they threw it. The people, they broke her jaw and kicked her out of a moving car. They tried to kill her. So she's on the side of the road for hours. Somebody found her, took her to the hospital. Like, come on. You ain't been through nothing close to that. You some mm-hmm. kid that's pulling fingers, right? So to, to the people who I would, who I would, you know, just try to give a little word of advice is do what Tom did. Just try to get to know some of these people. You know, my grandma used to say when you point fingers, remember it's three pointing back at you. Mm-hmm. These three right here. So you point like, do you need to do this? You need to do that. So, so a lot of I learned this like a year ago. When people are acting out, you don't say what's wrong with you. You say what happened to you.
4: Mm-hmm. What
3: happened to you? What happened to you to make you act like this?
0: Mm-hmm.
3: we're not we're not born this way something happened to it like we're, we're asking for help that's a yeah. sign for help hurt
2: people hurt people yeah mm-hmm.
3: hurt people hurt people I say that all the time and i don't have any tattoos but i say my first tattoo is gonna say treat people like people mm-hmm. right and then because i want to treat people like people i want to treat them like i care about their being i care about you because you are part of me and then more of my friends are like well, what if they don't like what if people don't like people then i say i'm gonna ask them what happened to you? Yeah. Because the only people that don't like humans is because humans hurt them. Right. Every human they know hurt them. And they say, I don't like people. I like dogs. I like cats because they, they understand me better. And so so I would say, get to know those people, man. Like for the people, that, the, the the youth, the, the, the generation that you think is lazy, mm. the generation that you think is, is, is like too dependent, like your problems, my, was worse than their problems like like i didn't have to go through slavery but like you said how we perceive things like your level of of of, of traumatic things that happened to you maybe that you was whipped but the level of traumatic thing that's happened to me is that my dad was taken away from me mm-hmm. and my emotions could equate the same thing that your emotions equate when you was whipped. so it hurt me just as much but what? you won't understand it if you point a finger at me You'll never get the chance to, to see how I feel. So you just got to take the time to just get to know some of these kids. And of course, they're not going to let you get to know them in an hour and a day, mm-hmm. right? No, it ain't going to happen. Just like I told you about these kids in South Memphis. It ain't, when I first met a lot of these kids, they was breaking into our building. Literally breaking into our building, spray painting the walls. They didn't have nothing to do. They get out of school at 6 o'clock, at three, excuse me, they get out of school at 3 o'clock. Their parents don't come to pick them up. If they have a job and if their parents come to pick them up, they're not going to make it there till like 5.30. You mm-hmm. get off work at 5, you get there at 5.30. You don't have money to go to after-school programs. So from 3 to 6 or from 3 to 5.30, you have nothing to do, right? And if we point those kids, those kids are deviant. They're going to be running the neighborhood. They're doing this, then that. And you want one of the most dangerous drug-infested neighborhoods, What you going to do? You're going to find something to get into. And when you 14, 15, he's like, trouble. Trouble is fun, Right. right. And so yeah, if if I point the finger, I never get to know those kids. But if I give them somewhere to come, somewhere to express somewhere to love and art and find a part of themselves that is not out there in the street, you think they're gonna take advantage of that? Yes. Some of these kids are like, man, I love to cook now. We got a karate mm. class in South Memphis. A karate? <laughs> black it's it's like twelve <laughs> black dudes and they're taking karate class. You know? I'm like, yo, I've never seen nothing like this. Doing yoga. Dudes boxing and then going doing yoga, doing handstands and like I'm like, yo, this is beautiful yeah black people doing something that black people don't do
2: right right Quote, so unquote. i
3: love it love it love it so yeah man you just gotta get to know some of these people and i'm telling you don't get to know people thinking that i'm gonna change their life right that's you know what go ahead and do it you're gonna be surprised because they're gonna <laughs> change you they're gonna yeah. bring a little bit of beam in your life Whatever you got, bring it to the table. It will open your heart and your mind to so much more. And you will Mm -hmm. find happiness because you're starting to realize that this Porsche means nothing. This Ferrari, this stuff don't mean nothing. What means something is the people in your life and the time that you spend with them. Because once it's gone, it's gone. So that's why they had these barbecues and all these small, like, look at these country-ass people in the yard cooking. Like, that's the best time of our life. When we only got 12 pieces of chicken, but 60 people to 52. You know, <laughs> you better go get some hot dogs and, you know, mm-hmm. we're gonna have to do what we gotta do, but this is gonna be the best moment, is the time we together. And that's mm-hmm. the things we value.
1: So I have my own answer to the question that I am about to ask you, but I want to know from your perspective, I think I told you that I did some work in Uganda and something I noticed over there is that they call like white people that come over, they call them mzungos. And it's typically people who just come in for a few weeks, take some pictures, holding their kids, maybe give them a few bags of rice and beans, (laughs) but then they never hear from them again. Right. And I really didn't want to be that when I spent time there, I wanted to gain their trust and love on them and see them and listen to them actually know their names and, and their concerns. I noticed the people that had been there before me, they didn't know the kids' names. And I really wanted to know each of their names and each of their stories. And I know in neighborhoods like Soulsville, they have a similar name that they use, which is turkey people, right? It's mm-hmm. it's not to say that what they're doing isn't helpful or should be dismissed, but it's people who deliver turkeys on Thanksgiving. And it's more of a yearly charity than it is wanting to know the people. Um. Tell us about why what Tom Shadyac is doing is so different and why it's working.
3: So what makes Tom different is that he he moved the limits. He's staying, staying around. He he climbs in the gym. He sits and he takes that time. Like I said, it wasn't just because I'm special, right? Because everybody is special. He understands that. He's been on the edge of life and death. And he he sees the importance of time. Right? He sees the importance of The beam of light that could be sparked in anybody so no a lot of people carry light but it's just not as bright and it's because we didn't fan it enough
0: Hmm.
3: right so he goes and fans everybody and and that makes him special everybody ain't got the patience you know to do that you know they're too busy
1: (laughs) i think what i saw when I was there at Memphis rocks and just in Soulsville and how I saw him approach people and talk to people. And you touched on it earlier is that he's not there to change people. He's there to love people. Mm -hmm. Like he really just wants to make everyone there feel loved and feel seen. He's not trying to change anyone. Um, And I think that, these kids aren't used to that and that's what's Mm-mm. that's what's actually changing them that's what's actually ca- causing them to grow
3: that's why they're getting attached to him mm-hmm. they're like oh this is the guy who shakes my hand every time you see me this is the guy who asks me how's my day and when I say it's okay he's like no how's your day really
0: mm-hmm. and he takes that
3: time to ask you again mm-hmm. you know he look at your body language and he say you know how are you really doing you know where do you live did you eat today you know like questions mm-hmm. you know, nobody don't ask you because the reason why you act now because okay. you didn't eat and then he say hey you know you can eat here for free you know, you know. Mm-hmm. I you know what. Since you don't want to feel bad about eating for free, I'll pay for it. You know, here's ten dollars. Mm-hmm. Go get you whatever you want. It's like, you know. Then you see that. But but it's a part. It's a difference between uh, coming into a community and like and, and being a part of a community, right? Like he mm-hmm. he he he's a part of the community now. Like like mm-hmm. the old ladies know him. Like <laughs> like everybody know him. i
2: was just gonna ask you if you could actually break down what Memphis Rocks is.
3: Yeah. So Memphis Rocks is. Um, from my knowledge, the only non-profit rock climbing gym and like the only non-profit rock climbing gym that's that big, right? So most rock climbing gyms like $75 a month, $60 a month for membership. To
1: 180 here.
3: For what? What do you get? You get like a life, you get an insurance policy, you get <laughs> the car you're paying for, what? They paying your rent Insurance too. policy. <laughs> Jesus Christ. So... And and if you want to climb for a day and you don't want to think you can't afford it, it's like uh, $25 a day at some gyms. And there Mm -hmm. were no rock climbing gyms in Memphis. The closest rock climbing gym in Memphis was three hours away. So before we decided to build a rock climbing gym, we did a little research. You know, I was in the neighborhood. I went to a lot of community meetings where a lot of the uh, older group of Soulsville who've been here 50, 60 years was like, yo, we need recreation. We need a good food source, healthy food source and we need a place for the youth to go. That's what mm-hmm. this neighborhood needs. Those are the three top things that this neighborhood needed. And I brought that back to Tom, and he was like, okay, BMX? I was like, please. No. And so long story short, we went rock climbing, took a lot of kids rock climbing, and we decided to go rock climbing. Mm. And then, you know, we're not in one of the poorest neighborhoods to make money, you know, because it for heart, because we got a big heart, and he has a big heart. and. You know, it's about um, it's a place where you can come and you don't have to pay to enter. You know, if you don't have the money, you can just you can say, hey, I don't got it. You can still get a full full membership for zero dollars and zero cents. You know, you can put one cent in. You can donate two dollars, one dollar. You can donate whatever you want is it's pay it forward. Come as you are, basically. And you can volunteer if you want to. You know, we actually we, we do ask you to volunteer, but you don't have to. But uh, you can spray shoes, you can help people with the cubbies, you can belay, you know, only like two or three hours, like, you know, a day or a week, you know, and that pays for your membership. We don't ask for your money, we ask for your energy, because we mm-hmm. believe that currency is not money. Currency is what's current, it's what's moving through the wall, it's what's moving through us, and that's our energy and our time, and that's something you can't get back. You can write your name on a dollar, one day you will touch that dollar again. You can't write your name on time and say, one day I will get this moment back. You will never get that moment back. So we we cherish those moments that you share with us more than we cherish what's coming out of your wallet. And so we let people come in and they, they work out and they eat at the juice bar and they volunteer. And it's just a beautiful place where, you know, people don't judge you. They don't say, hey, where are you driving? You know, is that Porsche out there yours? You know, you can see Chevy, Chevy, Porsche Club pull up and like Ferrari Club be pulling up. It's like, okay, yeah. So who cares? It you know, has nothing to do with people in here. Inside of this gym, none of that matters. Height, color, money, none of it matters. Here everybody's equal. There's no gold membership. There's no silver membership. Like there's no bronze membership, you know. There's mm-hmm. no like, oh, my membership is for five years. Like, no, no, who cares? <laughs> like you're here today, right now, and that's all that matters. Do you need somebody to climb with? You know, how are you how's your day?
2: What are some of the success stories you've seen come out of the gym?
3: Yeah. Oh man. One of the most simplest ones is that about a month ago, I was helping this kid with his homework and you know, he had to he had to write down um, what events that happened before you was born that, um, I don't know why this ear is itching. It's crazy. What events <laughs> happened before you was born that affects your life right now and to change your life right now? What events that happened while you were born? I mean, while you're here, it changed your life and what events did you want to happen when you die to change your life? like the generations out of you. And mm-hmm. so one of the things that happened, he wrote before he was born to change his life is that he was like my mom and dad met. So I was like, oh, that kid it was simple. What if One of the events that changed your life right now, he said, my brother got a job at Memphis Rocks. Mm. That's huge. That's great. Like this changed his life.
0: Yeah. And,
3: and I talked to him about that. He was like, oh, because he helped out with the bills at home and I have somewhere to play that's safe. Right, mm-hmm. and he don't mm-hmm. only just play there; he's on our climbing team. So I'm mm. like, this kid is good. <laughs> this kid, I'm like, it's like, it's it's a little embarrassing, you know. Like honestly, he's like 12, mm-hmm. and he's mm-hmm. like and he outclimbs you, <laughs> of course, easily. Like these just natural strength. He's like he likes to draw in his free time. He's this super awkward kid, and we all love him. Like mm-hmm. he don't like looking people in the eye, but it also, mm-hmm. like you said, it comes from like what you say. What happened to you? He don't look people in the eye. He just draw a lot. He sit there and he scribble scribble, and he don't draw. He's just like, he don't look up that much. He just look, hey, you know. But when he get on the wall, all his confidence come out. He's like, man, I can do this. no problem. He's like, it's like, you're amazing. He's like, man. <laughs> it's just this kid, you know. It's always beautiful. That's one of the things. And it's another little kid. He's probably like 10. He's on the climbing team. And um, I asked him what he wanted to be when he grew up. He said a rock climber. And I was like, yo, when I was his age, I only had two options: NBA, NFL, right? Mm. And it all depends on how tall I was going to be with something I can't mm. control. But him saying a rock, like he can do it. Yeah, he, like there's not like, oh, it's very statistics or so no, like no, you can become a rock climber. Like you got the support here, you got like everything you, you has a, you have a gym. Like you don't matter how much, you ain't got to go lift weights and get strong. You ain't got to be six, seven. Mm-hmm. Like right. you just have to just work hard. And so yeah. no matter how hard you work to become a basketball player, if you're not that tall, then they're not going to pick you up. And there's this is one kid I want to tell y'all about. When we first met him right before we was opening a gym, probably like a week before we was opening a gym, he was out like picking locks and cars and like stealing wallets and trying to steal cars. And now he's like, volunteering there every day like literally mm. every day this kid is there like I'm like tell you need just put in an application and I'm like you here every day <laughs> volunteering like we want to give you a job okay right. like because you you here like and he he tell her like and everybody kind of make it our thing to try to get to know these kids and like of course like I'm black I'm like oh I'm young I'm kind of like his age I would think he'll attract me or we would have something in common nothing. He is close with this guy named John Hawk, who is like a 42-year-old white man from Virginia, right? And him and John Hawk are like this. I'm talking about like this. i like, what the hell? Am I not good enough for you, huh? Yeah. You know? So it's like crazy because they was like, yo, Chris, I want you to go, you know, see, could you – you know, talk to a Tiger. You know, and I'm like, all right, I'm gonna talk to a Tiger. But Tiger likes he likes John. Him and John. Are you don't tigers. want
2: to have anything to do with <laughs> <him>. <laughs> you. Know me,
3: man. So, so, and I accept that. You know, and so all the yeah. young men kind of like, you know, they feel energy from everybody, and everybody It's not just about like me. It's always about like what we can do for the next generation. We want to yeah. bring them up and like okay. give them what I didn't have growing up. And it's not like me going in and changing his life. It's just me being a part of his life, I'm just right. a part of the growth. That's it. And I don't overstep any boundaries, ask questions to make him uncomfortable. I don't push him in any way.
1: It's so when you're driving through Soulsville and then you pull into Memphis Rocks and you walk in, it's so crazy. The energy shift, like you walk into Memphis Rocks and you there's like just this happiness and this like mm-hmm. light feeling and just a joy. But when on the outside, when you're driving through, there's like this, this hard, it just feels so hard. You know, it just and, looks so hard, and then you you go into Memphis Rocks, and it's just the happiest place.
3: So, you ever heard of the angry black man? No. Or the or the resting bitch face.
1: Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah.
3: So, angry black man or the resting bitch face is supposed to represent what you see when you see somebody, right? Mm-hmm. So, when you look at a black man, they say we only know how to express anger. So, we look mm. dangerous. So, people are naturally afraid of us. Or we are like what they used to call super predators. Right. So, mm. we got this look right here. And I ain't gonna lie, I'm, I'm known to do this. Like, I do this a lot. Like, this is my normal face, but I'm like this all day. Mm. And, and it's because it does stop people from approaching you. You know, it stops you from, you know, you look tougher and people don't think you soft and they don't wanna pick on you. You just, you're used to this resting face, the angry black man face. And so when you walk and you're driving around Solisville, you see that. You see the hardness. You feel that, that negative mm-hmm. energy out there, right? Because you got to put on this thing for the world. One, because of expectations. Two, because your own safety. So you put on this okay. front for the world. But when you go into Memphis Rocks, you see how people really feel. They're not really mad. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. Like They're
3: being themselves. This is a place where they can be themselves. Mm-hmm. You can be that little shy little kid. You can be the man that's afraid of heights, right? You go into Memphis Rocks, and I think that energy just just change like like people just mm-hmm. like yo like who like this makes me oh man like that, that, like
1: and also they can't think about their problems when they're trying to figure out where they put their foot next you, can't, you know like
3: all this stuff you can't be like oh man i'm mad like everybody needs to think i'm mad they're like oh my god you got me, you got <laughs> yeah. me. i got you, you i don't even want people. to flash
1: back to yeah. me <laughs> oh god yeah, so,
3: in the streets, you can't trust nobody. Everybody is an enemy, right? Everybody enemy. Old dude walking his way as an enemy. So I'm gonna he better cross the street. You know what I'm saying? I'm gonna walk on. I'm gonna walk close to him so he know I ain't scared. You know, everybody every door they open, I'm clutching because I don't know who coming out of their door. I don't know who around this corner, right? This pole is a little thick. Somebody could be standing on the side of their pole, making sure I'm watching the pole. I'm looking at where the sun. They're looking for shadows, yeah. right? Like every detail is important. Them bushes, you know. I gotta make sure I'm looking in between the bushes where a little thin so I can see if there's anybody there every every moment is like that
4: mm-hmm. right
3: it's fight or flight every moment
4: mm-hmm.
3: your brain is working so fast on small stuff and so you go on memphis rocks and everybody's like hey how you doing it's like what the hell you know i was like all right you know cool well Come tell on, us like,
1: about the the fundraiser and the needs of the gym to keep it going and how people can help
3: and so the thing is we don't ask people for money because people don't have any money. Mm-hmm. And so we got to pay people. We got to pay people. We, we got to buy food, and it's organic food every day that we make and feed these people. And so right now we're making documentaries, and basically what we need, we need funding. We need people to donate. You can donate at MemphisRocks.com. You can follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Memphis Rock Climate. And just if you don't want to donate, just be a part of, like, just watch what we do. You know, message us on the message board. If you don't feel comfortable enough by my story to donate, just message us through Instagram. Hey, I need more information about somebody than Borden or Chris. Like tell us about Zach or Juliana, who is from Brazil and, and now, you know, moving to Memphis and, and, and John who is from Florida who had his rock climbing gym go through a sinkhole and lost all his money and now he found a new home in Memphis Rock as a manager of the gym, you know. Mm-hmm. Tell us about Keon who was born in like overseas. And, and he, now he lives in Memphis and like, tell us, you know, tell us like more people. Mm -hmm. There's not a more diverse people that you see, like even in our staff, you got young, older, black, Mm -hmm. white, like tell us about these people who quit their job when they walked in here. Like, yo, I want to work here. Right. Mm -hmm. This is where I'm at. Right. And so, so you just, you want to give to that. If you want to learn more, just, just follow us on those social medias and, and like, we just ask people to give a dollar, $2, $5, mm-hmm. don't matter. Like Dan Thomas used to say, I'd rather give one dollar, I'd rather get $1 from a million people than get a million dollars from one person because mm-hmm. we want support. Like I said, it's about all about community. It's not about like that yeah. one person who believes in us. We want this thing to come together. Yeah. There's no place like this place that really believe in people. This, 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 this model, this, this, this work model that we have in the America, that the corporation's built, these don't supposed to work. People don't care about other people, right? People don't want to give to people where they're not receiving some out of it. People don't donate their time, right? Uh, and if it's not for kids, like for puppies or like, you know. So no, no, no. Right. Like, let's prove them wrong. Like, people actually care about people being happy. Mm-hmm. And, and each, like, so Tom been saying this thing, like, I um, can't even remember it right now, but... One life one life change changes us all. That's what it is. One life changed changes us all. Mm-hmm. Now, think about it. It's true. If I didn't go through what I went through, I wouldn't be talking to y'all.
4: Right. Right? If
3: y'all didn't go through what y'all went through, y'all wouldn't be interested enough in the other people to talk to them and bring this, yeah. this podcast to other people. And mm-hmm. if they wasn't something going through something, they wouldn't be listening. And, they, they're like, and then they're going to tell the story to other people. Like, everybody's life is a trickle effect. Mm-hmm. My energy is a wave and y'all energy is a wave. Mm-hmm. And we all connected, right? Mm-hmm. And, and Martin Luther King, you say, no man is an island. No man is an island. We're all one big blanket. And we're mm-hmm. all just strings of thread just mm-hmm. going through it. So... Yeah, you ever seen a blanket with one string? You're like, oh my, this blanket is gone, right? Like, whatever it is, the shirt, where they got their one, it's, it's over. It's over. Unravel the whole thing. Oh my God. After time, every time you put it, it's like, oh, it's never going to stop. So that's why you should get it because we all connected. And mm-hmm. if you need more proof, follow us on social media and you'll see that we're really here for real and we're trying to change yeah. the game and we're trying to show, show corporate America or just people in general that people really genuinely care about people's
1: yeah life yeah um and we'll post some of that some of those documentaries um some of the little short clips on our instagram so people can go there and check it out and we'll post the link as well on how to donate um so we have a question from the magic mob which is our tribe of listeners Eli. Magic mob.
3: Hey, shout out to Magic Mob. <laughs> I like that name.
1: What's your first recommendation for those who want to get involved in their community but don't know where to start or struggle with finding the time because they are already spread so thin?
3: Man, look, first I would say find an organization that speaks to you, right? That their, their core their core purpose is around your core purpose, right? Because if, if, if you are already spread so thin... Then what you, when you go to this place, it's not even like, you know, you're working. Mm-hmm. It's a relief, right? Mm-hmm. So it seems like what you need is a relief and something that speaks to your core. And so find a place, a nonprofit that works in a neighborhood that you're interested in, that, that, that relates to your core. You don't want to go mm-hmm. to a place that's like, man, they underserved in this neighborhood. And then you feel like it's another strain on you. right? You want to nice. go somewhere and be like, ah, oh, finally mm-hmm. here. Right, some people like that's your job. You're supposed to do something you love, but everybody don't have the chance to do something they love. So go to a place where you feel relief, and that you can also they need you, and you need them, and you can get to know some of these these youth, the youth, or it might be old people. You know, maybe your thing is old people. They still alive. They still here. Mm -hmm. Go sit and read to them. You'll learn a lot. You know.
4: Yeah, really wisdom.
3: So so just giving back to people. Period. You'll feel you'll feel good, and it's Mm -hmm. a lot of. You know, we always talk about how people don't treat these old people right. You know, we mm-hmm. can we can do something about it, you know. So I would say find a find an organization that, that speaks to your your core and, and do something you love. So it won't be a yeah. another strain on you.
2: <laughs> There's a few short questions we like to ask everyone who comes on the show. First off, what advice would you give your 25 year old self? Maybe we say 15 year old self. I don't know. Uh, let's say 18 year old self.
3: Oh, man. Um, I would say write more and enjoy every moment, like enjoy every moment. Like don't take things for granted. Like, mm. you know, and I, I, I started saying this two days ago. I don't notice the sun until it's set Until it's setting. I don't notice the sun until it's setting. Right. Which I think means that's a lot of beautiful things happen in my life. Mm. And I don't notice until it's almost gone. And so the sun is I here really for me like all that. day. The sun is beautiful. It's, it's feeding me all these nutrients I need. It's feeding the grass and the land around me. But I don't notice it until this beautiful moment where it's setting in the past. I'm like, maybe I should take a moment to appreciate it. But I should appreciate it when it rises. I should pre- appreciate it every moment that I got because without the sun, I wouldn't be here. Mm-hmm. So I never noticed the sun until it's gone. So I appreciate every moment while you got it. That's what I would tell my 18-year-olds.
0: That's
1: beautiful. I like that. If you could have the whole world read one book, which would it be?
3: I don't read much. I don't read much. Um... So I wouldn't know. I wouldn't know. I, I, I well, how I about
2: watch something or what would something that really moved you, some sort of
3: content that you've come I, across? In your I watch life. a lot of documentaries.
2: What one do you really got on your mind right now?
3: I would say, I don't remember the name of this documentary, but this one hit me very hard. It was the mm-hmm. one that I saw at Telluride Film Festival. And probably y'all could look it up and find like, uh, the mm-hmm. name of it. But it was the one about. The the, the the plastic that we put into the water mm-hmm. and about all the birds that eat the plastic. Mm-hmm. And it was, yes. this, it was this Island of this man. He went and opened up all these birds to show us how they died. Right. Mm. And all of these birds that was dead had plastic top bottles and straws. And it was like turtles that died. And all these things that we see in the street, that's going like, Oh, the water floated down the drain, mm. but they go into this place where we killing, we killing the, we killing the planet that we, we, we hold so dearly. And that's mm-hmm. what I think I will watch something like that and just say like, because I'm not like green, like, you know, I'm not like, but I just like to be in so in your face, right?
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah.
3: So in your face. And, and and that's something we all give to poor people, give to it, rich people, give to it and it's killing us all and it's going to shorten our life of everybody. So if you want the world to keep going, let's try. I'm not, I'm not like, you know, but that was just that was heartbreaking.
2: If you could whisper one phrase to everyone on the planet, what would it be?
3: You are loved. Hmm. You are loved. So, because everybody needs to know that, you know. For sure. I feel like people go and do all these school killings and stuff like that. That that they just feel like they're they're isolated. They're the only person. That's why I listen to music. I love music because I love sad music because it makes me know that people feel how I feel or felt how I feel. Or mm-hmm. felt how I fe- felt. I don't feel so alone when I listen to music. And it ain't all about like, ooh, because I'm happy, clap alone. <laughs> you know, I like that song, but it's about like, you know, those gut-cringing moments where you hear something like, damn, I felt that before. I never put it into words, but I felt that. Yeah. Um, and then, you know. And so, yeah, I think you are loved. Everybody need to know that somebody care about them, period. Whether they got a thousand people in their family or nobody in their family.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's something mm-hmm. else you say that I really like that's... Um,
3: yeah, there's no war between um, black and white. It's not between um, rich and poor. It's between love and hate. Yeah, but that's the truth. That's the truth, man. People, they, it just, they just want, like, it's, it feels so, it, it makes us feel so isolated so much because we don't have what people have. And they don't, it's not about that. You know, it's like, it's about having love in your heart. And it's about, it don't matter how much money you got. Like, if you feel like you are loved, you feel a little bit better. Right, you feel like you got somebody who care about you, even if you got nobody to go home to. You got somebody you can call and pick up the phone. Mm-hmm. But hundred percent. Yeah, but when when you just feel like the world is against you and and things are coming down on you, it, it just feel that, that don't that don't feel good. It's all about like showing people love. It's not about damning people to hell or this religion is right and this religion is wrong. Like, do you care about these people? Do they breathe? Are they human? Right? Are they a being? Do they exist? all that matters. Like, you should care about that person. No matter what colors or scarves or rags, or don't matter, right? So they was like, Chris, they're trying to test me in my job. Like, Chris, what if a man come in here with a swastika tatted on his face? I'm going to say, welcome to Memphis Rocks. How can I help you? Yeah. Would you like to learn about rock climbing?
1: How do we find Memphis Rocks? Can you go ahead and at, say it
3: one more time? Memphis Rocks. Find Memphis Rocks. At Memphis Rocks climbing on... Facebook
2: and Instagram. And it's yeah, R-O-X. R-O-X. Exactly. R-O-X.
3: Not rocks. But rocks. Say it
2: together now. <laughs> R-O-X. R-O-X. Cool. Well, this has been awesome, Chris. I'm glad I got to meet you, even if it's just via Skype.
3: It's all right.
2: It's been a pleasure. And I'm glad uh, you gave us all your your very interesting stories. We've got everything from from the dark to the light. So thank yeah. you for covering it all with us all right thanks chris i always make that noise when we sign off (laughs) i know (laughs) (laughs) um he's a sweet he's a sweetheart yeah that was really cool getting to know him like that so um yeah what's your magic trick today Okay. So my magic trick is to practice giving genuine compliments to people. And this is something actually we touched on a little bit with Chris today on the show. And he he mentioned how Tom is so good at seeing people so clearly. And I think one of the things that um, Jade, you've mentioned about Tom specifically, mm-hmm. is that he's good at giving compliments to people or speaking beauty when you see it into people mm-hmm. um, or when he sees it. So that's that's what I'm asking is to practice speaking beauty into people when you see it. This is something we try to do with this show actually during our interviews, but it doesn't have to be as complex as that um, for everybody else out there in the world. It's just a matter of saying what beautiful quality you recognize in somebody when you see it. Uh, it's, it's really one of the most powerful tools you can hold. It empowers you to it empowers the person you speak into and it empowers you mm-hmm. by mm-hmm. acknowledging what beauty, what beauty you see in another, because being able to recognize something in another means that it also lives in you. Yes, I
1: love that. Um, Uh, And, you know, we just, we need more positivity in the world. And that reminds me of, I remember at this Friendsgiving, this is kind of so cheesy, but at Mm -hmm. uh, this Friendsgiving uh, Thanksgiving week, I saw this girl who was just super fit and I just was admiring her butt. (laughs) <laughs> all night. And I never said anything to her. And then later on, I was thinking like, why didn't I tell her that she had the best butt I'd ever seen? Like that would make her feel good. So like good. Yeah. she works out, obviously she works hard for it. You know, I should have mm-hmm. just said it. And if someone had complimented something like that on me that I work hard on, you know, like it, it, it like, especially girls, we need to like, be able to just say things, compliments like that. And yeah. like, why not? Why, why do we feel uncomfortable
2: complimenting, you know? I know. So I have a big problem with that. I feel like So
1: so tr- yes, it's true you um are recognizing something in another that also lives in you unless it's a big old booty, then you're just <laughs> recognizing something that you appreciate. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, no, I love that. And I I do agree that we see in others what's also in us. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, a lot of times we admire something in someone else and it's almost like, "Man, I wish I could be that way, but you are that way. That's why you're recognizing it." So,
2: yeah. And I I do just on top of that, I do notice that like when I think back about people who I felt so um, comfortable immediately around
4: mm-hmm. were
2: people who were open with giving compliments or recognizing. It doesn't have to be like a compliment. Compliment sounds like it could be just words of affirmation. Words yeah. Of affirmation. Words of affirmation is a better a better phrase for sure for it because it's like. Just recognizing, hey, you're a really observant person. It could be, you know, as simple as that. It could be. You pay attention. um, Exactly. Like, I mean, that's so, that seems so simple. But when Mm -hmm. someone says that, you go, yeah, I actually do fucking take a lot of effort to pay attention and be present (laughs) and put down my phone. You know, like whatever your thing is. I don't know Mm -hmm. if that's it. But yeah. Yeah. What about you? What do you got like for us today for your magic? So mine,
1: um, we actu- actually talked about it in this episode without me r- knowing that we would, but it's to humanize everyone in front of you. Chris mm-hmm. talked about seeing everyone as a person, treating everyone like they're a person, mm-hmm. and like thinking what happened to you. You know, like I think that especially here mm-hmm. in Austin, we have our homelessness has gotten so out of control um, that. I see people scoff a lot and like, Oh, I would never, I'd never be in that situation, Mm -hmm. but yeah, maybe you wouldn't with, with, you know, the breaks that you got or the, the people who, who fed into you, but no one is, I mean, you don't know. If, if you hadn't had a couple of breaks or if you hadn't had a couple of people believe in you, you don't know who you would have become, you know, and we don't know, like that woman, he told the story about her jaw. Like we don't know people's story, even if it is a drug addiction, what caused them to start mm-hmm. being addicted to drugs? You know, there's always a backstory there. And <clears throat> just every time you see someone that you r- realize you're looking down on just Mm -hmm. try to see them as a person and and ask yourself what got them there. Um, Yeah. And the fact that you're listening to the show means that you at least like me a little bit. (laughs) And you, I, I don't think I've talked about it on the show yet before, but I at about half of my life ago was sleeping in a car, was sleeping on a bench, didn't have a home. And I was asking people for money on a street corner at, at one point when I was, you know, 13, 14 years old. So you didn't, people who were walking past me, they didn't know my background. Mm-hmm. You listening to me right, right right, now, you had no idea that I had been there at a certain point, you know? So to just remember, we don't know the whole story.
2: For you know? sure. And you were a young person, so I can see like, oh, well, you, you, you know, had it hard off from the start or something and people can go, yeah, I understand why you're in that situation. But even the person, which by the way, it's not, it's never like, it's never that simple. Right. But, mm-hmm. I'm saying, even the person that ha- you is a you know forty year old man who seems well bodied and able bodied and everything else, but he's addicted to drugs or you know whatever mm-hmm. reason that he's in the slums and he's hurting in his life. You you might stand there and like you're saying, Jade, you might stand there and go. I would never let myself get to that Mm -hmm. place. Yeah, you, the current you in the brain capacity and the nourished body or whatever the things are that are working right for you in this moment, you would never be in that situation. That's why you're not in that situation right now. Mm -hmm. But the you that's a potential, like the you that didn't eat correctly for a lot of his life, or maybe his mother didn't eat correctly for while, you know, for her whole life. And, and that led to you not having a, I'm not saying that's the only reason this can happen, but maybe that led to you having a chemical imbalance in your body or in your brain. Mm -hmm. Maybe, uh, you, you know, you worked a certain job where there's asbestos in the air. I don't know what the Mm -hmm. things are that can lead you to a damaged mind, body, spirit, but Mm -hmm. it's Obvious that it can happen to to us. We're fragile yeah. beings, and even if and then, it's a
1: scam, where they're you know they are able to work and they're out mm-hmm. there just because that's how they choose to make money, it's still
2: that's it's, a mental place they're in. Yes, that they can it's be still doing. coming
1: from a broken place, right? It's exactly. still not a fully able spirit, a fully able right. yeah, right. So yeah, I think no matter what the why is. Or the how if you can still choose to to just know something's broken
2: you know yeah just practice some compassion wherever possible hmm mm.
1: yeah all right you guys thank you all so much for listening today we hope you found this conversation um, just heartwarming and, um, eye opening. And if so, please share it with your friends and family. This would mean so much to us. And remember that you can always go to our Instagram page at the magic hour to ask us or any of our future guests a question. Talk to you guys next week. Until then, be alive.
2: Thank you to Christopher Dean for being on our show today and to at Raytone Royal for our intro jam. And of course, to John Garza from Real In Motion Productions for producing the show. Stay magical, friends. Quick disclaimer. We are not medical professionals, so following any of our protocols or advice should be done at your own risk, people. And please remember to always, always do your own research. Tap into that extraordinary growth mindset we all have access to within ourselves and seek out your own answers. Come on, guys. You know. You know the deal. And, by the way, if you are a medical professional or an expert in any topic we cover and you feel we are not giving accurate information about it, please find somewhere to contact us contact us via social or email us at our website and let us know a major goal of ours in doing this podcast is to bring value to people's lives by sharing helpful insights and info so we welcome being corrected at any time and we'll be happy to share any of our fuck ups with our listeners so as to get us all back on track to discovering our happiest
4: healthiest selves